Good morning, church family. Now, how do you get up and follow and act like that right there? I can't spit bars like Pastor D. Come on. PD right there. Come on. It's good. It's good. Yeah, that's it good. It's good. First time I ever heard him rap, I thought it was going to be cheesy. I thought, man, that dude is good. <laughs> wow. So good. Hey, before I dive into the message, um, I just want to reiterate something that I shared with all you guys last week. I know it was coming off Thanksgiving. Some of you weren't here. And so I thought it would be important that I, I mention this once again. But last week, I talked a little bit, first of all, about what it meant to leave a legacy. And I talked about how a legacy isn't really what you leave to someone, but rather it's what you leave in someone. And then I shared with you a bunch of cool things that we've been blessed to be a part of over the past 10 years. Like getting to see literally hundreds of people give their lives to Christ, follow through in water baptism. We've been able to serve our city now for 10 years with countless hours. We've been seeing, we've got over a dozen community groups now. We've been able to do so much here locally um, but not only locally, uh, we've been able to do so much even beyond Jacksonville. I shared with you last week, and I'll say it again for those of you that don't know, we got to build seven different buildings for churches all over the world. How awesome is that? So grateful. We've been able to give over a quarter million dollars and uh, to missions. And so I just wanted to mention all that to you once again just to say what I said last week, and that is that we are just getting started. We believe that the next 10 years are going to be far greater than our past 10 years. Thank God for the past 10 years, amen? But we believe that what God has for us for the next 10 is going to be much, much better. And so we have been praying and planning in preparation for all that God has for us, which has led us to a new annual initiative that we're calling Legacy Offering. And this Legacy Offering is going to be a special once-a-year offering during the month of December, which is meant to be a sacrificial offering for the purpose of sowing into the lives of others and sowing into future generations. And each year, as December comes along, we're going to pray about what it is that that legacy offering is to go toward. Um, I mentioned to you uh, several times that um, I have a group that I pray with weekly on Sunday nights. It's, we've probably been praying now for a good, what, five months maybe? And uh, something really cool happened about a month and a half ago, but as we were praying, one of our, our prayer partners, uh, Brother George there, um, had a word for us, one that witnessed with all of our spirit and said, uh, Pastor Chris, if I can talk like my brother, I got the coolest voice, George, Pastor Chris, I love it, my man. He says, I hear the Lord, and the Lord says, I love it when you speak, especially when you're giving a word from the Lord. And he says, I, I, I feel the Lord says it's time that we need to start setting aside money, opening account to get ready for a building. And he owned up by giving the first amount towards it. And man, I'll tell you what, everyone in the room said, yes, it's absolutely time. And so this year, our legacy offering is going to go towards us having a home for Destiny Church. Come on. And watch this. The only way that's going to happen 
is, is if you pray also and we give towards it. I got to tell you, there's been, and these are things that I don't normally talk about. This is kind of a little bit of family talk right now, if that's okay. But there's been a couple of times that we could have purchased a building and got into it, but we didn't have the money. But watch this. We feel like now that it's time that we start sowing and getting ready so that when God opens that door, praise God, building prices are starting to drop, though. Y'all noticing that? Yeah. And so we believe in that this is the right timing of God. Amen. But we need to start sowing into that. And so what we're going to do is we are going to take up an offering on December the 18th, a special offering. And however much you give towards it will go towards our future home uh, for our church. And just in case there are those of you that are wondering, well, we've already got a place to meet. Like, what can we do um, there that we can't do here? Um, <laughs> how much time you got? <laughs> A lot. I mean, like, a lot. Like, a building, and it's so much. I mean, first of all, it's a place where we can do ministry 24-7. I mean, we've, we've got this place leased till 1230, but that's it. And, and I'm grateful for us to do what we do home to homes, thankful for community groups, thankful for what we're able to accomplish. But there's so much that we want to accomplish, like, literally every single day. Like, we want to have nights of prayer. We want to have nights of our times of prayer and, and nights of, of worship. We want to have a place where our children and our youth, first of all, love to come to. We're going to build that. That's something that's heavy on our heart right now and, and has been birthed uh, from our times of prayer to put an emphasis on the next generation. If we don't focus on the next generation, we're going to die off and we're going to not do our 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 duty once we stand before God, whenever he says, why did you not pass the mantle? We can't die with the mantle in our hands. We can't die with the torch in our hands. And so we've got to prepare right now. It ain't like the day we die, we go, well, here you go, I'm going to pass it off. No, we got to start pouring into them now and preparing them and equipping them. And us having a place will allow for that. It'll allow for that. It'll also serve as a place where we can serve our community in more possible ways than I could mention in just this one quick announcement. But 1 Chronicles 29, 3 through 6, embodies the heart of this initiative. It says this, Because I have set my heart on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. And then he says this, he says, who among you is ready and willing to join in the giving? And so right here's what I ask of you. I ask you to pray first and foremost. And then I ask you to prepare. And then I ask you to participate. And then let's continue building on this great foundation that we've already laid. Amen? All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Last week, Pastor Daniel did an excellent job on teaching about the conversion of Saul to Paul. And I'll tell you, I've always loved this story because it reminds me that no matter how far gone we think we are or how far gone others may think that we are, there is always hope in Jesus. Let me say that again so that it lands in your spirit. There is always hope in Jesus. And I say this with such emphasis because there are so many people who are living life without hope. 
They think that they've messed up to the point that no good thing could ever possibly happen to them. But I want you to listen to what Psalm 8411 says. It says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk rightly. Friends, the promise that we have in Christ as sons and as daughters is that God has nothing but good things in store for our lives. 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. See, that's why he says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for what? Good. That's what he has. He has good things in store for your life. Plans for good, not for evil. And so it's important that you recognize that God's purpose for your life is for good. Satan's purpose for your life is for evil. Hello? To steal, kill, and destroy. Now what I want to do this morning is I really, I just want to pull a concept from our all in series and kind of allow today's message to be a little bit of a one-off if I could and teach on how to recognize the voice of God. And I very much feel compelled to teach this because the one thing that I constantly hear from believers is how do I know if what I'm feeling is from God or not? And the good news is that God's word is not silent about this question. Like God wants us very much to recognize what is from him, what is just us, or what is just uh, our adversary, the devil. So let me just begin, if I could, just by maybe giving this illustration. All around us are sounds. Like some of them you can hear, some of them you can't hear. There are AM, FM radio waves, uh, wavelength sound waves that are traveling all throughout this building. There are TV waves. There are cell phone waves. There's the Wi-Fi internet waves. Our security team, they have walkie-talkies that they use to utilize these waves. This microphone that I'm talking into right now is transmitting waves. But unless you tune in, you will never hear them. We see the same is true of God. God is essentially and constantly transmitting, broadcasting, if you will, to us. But unless we're tuned in, we're not going to hear them. And if you're tuned into the wrong channel, you may think that it's God when in reality it's not. And so how do we know if it's God speaking? Like, how do you know whenever an idea comes into your mind if it's God or if it's just you? See, here's what I found that's true. Like, we all talk to ourselves. We talk to ourselves all the time. Really, we do. I think we do so because we want to have someone intelligent to talk to. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But the problem that we face in discerning when it's God speaking or our own desires and, and And here's what's so critical about us being able to discern the two. Proverbs 16, 25 tells us, it says, there's a way that appears right to a man. Like in our own mind, in our own understanding, we think, okay, like this is is the right way. There's a way that appears to be right, but in its end, it leads to death. 
But the good news is this, is that we have the ability to be able to recognize God's voice when he's speaking to us rather than when we're just speaking to ourselves. On the other hand, it's also important to know when Satan is talking. Can I just tell you that he is a talker? He's a talker. He never shuts up. I mean, he's always speaking, and when he speaks, like, someone, are we okay on this microphone? Do I need to switch mics? I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Is that annoying you guys as much as it's annoying me, or is it just annoying me? All right, maybe we'll make a switch here in a minute, sound team. We'll see if we can see what's going on here. But on the other hand, like I said, the enemy, he's constantly speaking to us. I'm going to make that switch because it's bugging me, all right? Probably ain't bugging me as much as it's bugging you guys, or or the other way around, but here we go. We good now? Ooh, I think I like this anyway. Might be able to spit a rhyme. Just kidding. (laughs) I'll leave that with you there, PD. <laughs> but the enemy is always speaking to us. And whenever he speaks to us, it's what we call temptation. Like he puts ideas, he puts thoughts in our minds that have the sole purpose of getting us to sin. To do something that comes up short of God's goodness. And I don't mean to scare you, and I don't mean to freak you out whenever I say that the enemy comes spitting his lies. But it's important for you to know that the enemy is constantly looking for an opportunity to get us to break fellowship with one another and to break fellowship with God. Actually, the, re- the reality is there's a lot of things that Satan says and does, yet God gets the blame for it. So you got to remember that the Bible teaches us that it's in, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, our adversary, he operates in deception. Throughout the years, I've watched people blame God for things that they've done. Saying, well, God told me to do it, but it wasn't God that told them. It was either their own selfish desires or it was the enemy that was leading them astray. Now, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the scripture says, don't believe everything uh, just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first. How many of you know that even in the things that I teach from the pulpit, it needs to be tested? Are you hearing me? Test it first to see if it really is. Now, many of us have heard the scripture before, and I think that most believers would apply that to teachings that they've heard, or at least I hope that they would. But what I want to talk to you about this morning isn't so much about the teachings uh, that you hear, although we need to certainly test those things, but I want us to talk about the things that we hear on the inside, the thoughts that we have and that come up in our mind, the thoughts that lead to the actions that we take. And this is the test that we have to take Every day of our life, sometimes several times a day. Because it's so easy for someone to hear God in one moment, and then in the next moment, they're listening to someone else. Or they're listening to their own desires or the lies of the enemy. Let me just give you a little biblical example of that, if I could. Um, In Matthew chapter 16 is the story of Jesus telling Peter um, exactly how he's going to die. He, He says to him, he says, Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to Peter, he says, you're right, Peter. And that idea, it did not come from human wisdom. 
Like God gave you that idea. So here we have Peter hearing from God, and Jesus confirms it. He says, you didn't have that idea on your own. Like that came from God. But then just a couple minutes later, Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to have to die for the cross, uh, on the cross for the sins of the people. And then Peter says, well, hold on, Jesus. May that never be. And then Jesus comes back, and what does he do? He rebukes Peter. And he tells him, that thought that just came out of your mouth is from the devil. That's when he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Same guy, two different impressions within a matter of minutes. And here's what I'm trying to communicate. This can happen to you, and this can happen to me. Like we could be listening to God one minute, and then all of a sudden we're listening to ourselves. And then another minute later, we're listening to the devil. And as I said, he's always looking for an opportunity to sell his lies. So how do you know when it's God speaking? Because, you know, there are just some things in life that are not clear cut. Like, for example, maybe if you're getting ready to enroll in college and you're trying to decide, do I want to go to the University of Florida? Do I want to go to Florida State? Some of y'all, I figured, had your own ideas and commentary about that. (laughs) It's not a clear-cut answer, right? Or here you go. How do I know if God's leading me to take this new job? Here's a good one. Something doesn't just feel right about this business deal. Like, is it me? Is it the enemy trying to prevent a blessing and causing me just to be anxious or fearful? Or is it God warning me about it? And how do I know? Well, thankfully, God's word gives us some guidelines, some tests, if you will, that can help us to better discern who is speaking. And the scripture that we read about in 1 John tells us that we need to test the voices in this world. Are you listening to me? You need to not just listen to what you're being told by the media, what you're being told even by your friends and your family. You need to test the spirit. Scripture says, he who has ears, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. We need to listen to what God is speaking to us. And here's what I want us to do this morning. Really, I want to talk about seven ways that we can test an impression. Seven ways that we can know that if an idea that you has entered into your mind is from God or not. And if you will apply all seven of these tests, then they'll form a very strong filter which you can then act on those thoughts. And then you'll also then know the ones to reject. By the way, as I share these seven points, it's just important uh, that you apply all seven that we're about to talk about and not just cherry pick because it's real easy to do that. You know what I mean? Like it's real easy for you to say, oh, I love this first point, of course, pastor. Second point's great. Third point, then we're going to get to point number four and five, and you're like, oh. But it's important that we apply all seven of these. Like if that idea, if that thought, if it doesn't line up with all seven, it's not God talking to you. It's just not. On the other hand, if you have an idea or a thought and it passes all seven of these tests, then you can be confident that you heard from God. Now, church, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to take notes. I know that there's a few of you that you take notes every Sunday, um, but, like, if you never take notes, borrow a pen from someone, pull out your phone, like, write down these seven points, 
or download the wonderful Destiny Church app that we have where they've already been put in there for you and you can fill in the blank. But I'm telling you, like today is the day that you're, wanna, you're gonna wanna grab hold of this because grabbing hold of this truth today and what we're gonna share will quite literally determine, it'll be the determining factor, if you will, and whether or not you'll fall by the wayside or whether you'll fulfill all that God has purposed for your life, okay? Today's seven tests, let me just say this, they are refrigerator worthy. Like write them down, print them out, put them in a place where you'll see them often because I can promise you that you will use this every single day of your life. So the first test in discerning whether something is from God is to ask, does it agree with the Bible? Are we okay so far on that? Does it agree with the Bible? I better get on all participation on that one. That's the first way that we can test an idea or an impression, and that's to ask, does it agree with the Bible? And here's why, because God will never, never, like he'll never contradict what he's already said in his word. He will never tell you to ignore something that he's already said for you to do or allow you to do something that he told you not to do. He will never violate his word. Let me say it again. He will never violate his word. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. Jesus is telling us that his word never has an expiration date. I know that this generation may think that God's word is outdated or that it's uh, expired. But friends, God's word will be the one thing that is standing when everything else is gone. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19, the scripture says, truth stands the test of time. Now, what's that mean? That means if it's true, it's always been true, and it will always be true, because truth is not new. What I mean is, like, if it's, if it's new, it's not true, because truth has been around forever. If it was true 4,000 years ago, then it was true 1,000 years ago. And if it's true today, it's going to be true in 5,000 years from now. Now, in case that just doesn't make sense, let me just explain it a little more. Like, fads change. Therapies change. Trends change. Popular Opinions change. And by the way, can I just say, be careful with the popular opinion because popular opinion, which will sometimes be the majority, is what sent Jesus to the cross. Right? Give me Barabbas, crucify Jesus. But truth doesn't change with popular opinion. Hey, consider this. Science changes. I mean, a science book that was written 20 years ago is already out of date. But the truth of God never changes. And so God will never say something in his word and then later change his mind about it. For example, Jesus taught us to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Now, you could tell yourself all day long, yeah, but I don't want to pay taxes to the government because I know what the government is doing with all of that money. Well, can I just tell you, Jesus knew exactly what Caesar was doing with all of that money, and you can be guaranteed that it wasn't godly things. Hello? Does that, struggle, does that cause you to struggle with your theology a little bit? 
But Jesus told him anyway to pay taxes to Caesar, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Here you go. Here's, here's a good one for you. Mark 10, 6 says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Now, the world may try to tell you that there are 112 different genders, but that's nothing but perverted confusion from Satan. And it doesn't line up with God's word. Therefore, it needs to be rejected. You're either male or female. And you know what? It's not difficult to find out which. Friends, listen, this is what I'm saying. Truth is, I'm telling you, truth is not subjective. It's absolute. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. It doesn't matter if you hate it. You can grit your teeth about it. Hey, you can say that the grass is purple all day long, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be. It's green. But we have a generation now that thinks, well, I can just determine that something can be whatever I want it to be. I'll determine what is right, not what God says. But if God says something different than what you think, friend, God's not the one that is wrong. God is right. You're the one that's wrong. Truth is not subjective. If you try to build your life on anything other than truth, it is not going to stand. And again, don't just, don't just hear it because I'm saying this, but like say, hear it because this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so this first test... It's a critical one, and, and I chose this as the first test because if it doesn't pass this, then, like, right there, you don't even need to move on to the next test. Like, you can reject it right away. You don't even have to look at the other six. If it's not biblical, just go ahead and throw it away. You don't even have to look at the other six because I can promise you that God will never bless anything that goes against his word, and you will never fulfill your God-given purpose You'll never forgive your, or I'm sorry, you'll never uh, fulfill your God-given purpose by doing things that is not in line with his word. Now, let me say this. I feel like I need to throw out a little bit of a balance. There will be times that you're going to miss the mark. There's going to be times that you're going to mess up. Trust me, okay? I mess up often, uh, and so do you. There's going to be times that we're going to do dumb things that go against God's word, and God's grace is there for us when we do, but God will never lead you to do something that goes against his word. Are you hearing me? That's our own selfish desires, or it's the voice of the enemy that will lead us to go against his word. Let's look at the second test, which is another question that we should ask ourselves whenever we're trying to recognize whether it's God's voice or trying to determine whether it's an impression from someone else. And that question is, does it make me more like Christ? If I follow through on this impression, will it make me more like Christ? Because Jesus is the standard by which we measure all impressions and thoughts and ideas that come into our mind. Listen, God's goal for our lives is for us to become more like Christ. In Philippians 2, 5, it says, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Now, if that's the goal for our lives, and it is, then that means that you can know that God would never give you an impression that would lead you in the opposite direction of that goal. Any impression that comes from God will come with the intention of you becoming more like Christ. Now, by the way, if you need a little bit of a checklist as to knowing what that means, there's a great one that I encourage you to go and read, and it's found in the book of James chapter 3. Verses 14 through 17. 
It's a great one really to just memorize anytime that you're trying to have some decision making and wondering if that thing that you're considering is from God or not. And the verse starts out by saying, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's saying that God will never lead you in something that stems from selfish ambition. And this is really where we've got to ask God to check our hearts because watch this, two different people, they could do the exact same thing but with two different motives. Are you following with me? Like there are people in churches all over the world this morning that are standing up with a microphone but they don't all have the same motive. Are you with me? And this is where we've got to really keep our hearts before the Lord because it's so easy for us to do things that are biblical, but even in the things that are biblical, we have to check our hearts to make sure that it's not coming forth from a selfish ambition. Let me just give you a little bit of an example of, of what I mean here. The Bible says that we're to be givers, but if you give for the purpose of being seen, the Bible says that your giving is in vain. Another biblical example is when the Pharisees would pray. They made it known to everyone around them that they were fasting. The Bible says that they would just kind of contort their faces like, oh, I haven't been eating in the last five days, right? They, they would just come around to let others know, oh, I, I'm, I'm fasting right now. But, and fasting is a good thing, by the way. We, we should fast. Um, but in this case, it was biblical, but it was done for the wrong purpose and for the wrong motive. And so we've got to ask ourselves, you know, not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And that's the second question and the second test that we're looking at. And you can know that God is never going to give you an idea, never going to give you an idea that's self-serving. Like, we get enough of those on our own, right? The ideas that come from God are going to be in order that we can serve others and in order that we can make an impact and a difference in people's lives. In James 3, 17, the, the checklist goes on by saying, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Hmm, take that checklist with you next time you go to the, poll, the polls and vote, right? So I have this checklist, and now I have an impression so I need to check that impression against this list. And the first thing asks, is it pure? And if it's not pure, it's not from God. This may sound simple to you guys, but you wouldn't believe how many people that I meet that are trying to convince themselves that an impure impression is somehow like from God. But if it's impure, it's not from God. Plain and simple. Then you keep going down the list and it asks, is it peace loving? Because God's never going to lead you toward violence. Then is it considerate? Like when God gives you an impression, he's concerned about the impact that that impression is going to have on someone else. Like is it going to do damage to someone else in their life? And there's this one. Is the impression submissive? Now being submissive, that's something right there that we don't like to hear here in America. 
especially uh, in today's world where so many people have rejected every form of authority in their life. But the scripture teaches that we are to submit ourselves one to another. Church, our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And his word teaches us that he's placed rulers and authorities in our lives that we are to submit to. And I have to be honest because I think this right here is where many believers in America are failing. Like we don't want to submit our lives to anyone. We now have more mavericks and lone rangers in the body of Christ than any other time in history. And the problem is that when we live unaccountable, unsubmitted lives, we step outside of God's cover. You know what I come and just this thought picture comes to my mind right away whenever they would take the anointing oil and they would place it close to the Ark of the Covenant. They would always uh, put a covering over the oil. All right, stay with me with this because I, I, I didn't have this one planned, but it's something I, I heard many years ago and it spoke so much to my heart. And the reason they put that covering over it is because that anointing oil, the flies would go and try to get into it. How many of you know that one of the names of the devil is Beelzebub, which means Lord of the flies? And so they would put a covering over the anointing oil so that the flies wouldn't get in. I think that's symbolic that when we don't have covering over our lives, we expose the anointing of God that he's given us to the attacks of the enemy. Are y'all following with me? The next question was this, is it full of mercy? And I've met a lot of people who say that they're hearing from God and they're, and they're speaking for, for God, but yet they're some of the most judgmental, condemning, and negative people ever. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of pastors like that. But God says that we're to be full of mercy, not judgment. Let me say it again. We're called to be agents of mercy, not judgment. That's why the scripture says mercy triumphs over judgment. Then the last three, does it yield good fruit? Is it impartial? And is it sincere? Like this checklist, by the way, is all character qualities of Jesus. Did you anyone notice that when I was sharing them? And anything that speaks or that leads me to that, like that, that, that's what we should act upon. Things that's going to cause us to become more like him. Now let's look at the third way that we can test and discern if God's speaking or not. And that is to ask does my church family confirm? Like, first of all, we've got to see, does it agree with the Bible? Second of all, we've got to ask, does it make us more like Christ? And now third, does my church family confirm this idea? You see, church, you and I, we need the wisdom, the counsel, and the advice of other godly people in our life to help us stay on track. God never intended for us to go through life all on our own. That's why he created the church family, because we need one another. Nobody has all the answers. You see, the scripture says that we, we know in part, we see in part. And the thing is this, is that there's probably someone here that has a part that you don't have. And when you two link up and you have a part that they don't have, all of a sudden we start getting a clearer picture of what it is that God's wanting to do. Are you, are you hearing me? We need each other. 
I can just say it this way, none of us are better than all of us. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's intent is that through the church, underline that if you've got your Bibles out, God's intent is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Did you catch that? You see, God shares his wisdom with the body of Christ, the church. And so if you believe that you've heard something from God, then you should be able to submit that thought to other mature believers who can then test it and confirm it. And if you're afraid to submit it to anyone, then I would caution you and ask why. Why would you feel any resistance to ask a mature believer to pray about it and see what they think? So this is the problem that I, I see a lot in the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the church as the one church. Um, people think, I don't need to ask anyone what they think because I can hear God for myself. Do you know there's actually a story in the Bible? It's found in Numbers chapter 16 uh, where the people, they came and they spoke up and they rose up against Moses. And they basically said, Moses, uh, we don't have to listen to you anymore. Like, we can hear God for ourselves. You can go read that later on. But I'll just give you a spoiler alert. The Bible says that the earth opened up and those men were swallowed up into the ground. Pastor, are you telling me that if I go and not trust something and what someone says, I'm going to swallowed up in the ground? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you know what I am saying? Is that too many people are swallowed up with things like financial debt. And if they had just went to another godly council and sought out some wisdom about it, maybe they not, may not have ended up in that situation. But God told me to. Well, great. Then go to two or three mature Christians and ask them to confirm it in prayer. Hey, they've got the same Holy Spirit of God that you do. Now, let me just say, church, we can hear the voice of God, first of all. Thank God for that. But I don't know anyone whose hearing is infallible. Are you with me? That's why the Bible says we know in part, we see in part, and we hear in part. Someone recently told me that God had told them to do something, and they weren't open to any counsel whatsoever. And so I asked them, I said, okay. I said, well, then would you be willing to stake your life on it? Like, would you be willing to die if you were wrong? And of course they said, well, no. And then all of a sudden they weren't sure if it was God or not. Church leaning on the body of Christ, listen, it does so many things for us. It keeps us humble. It provides protection for us. It gives us guidance. And it provi provides for us wisdom that we may not have had. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven nine, 9, the wisdom of the righteous can save you. It doesn't say the wisdom of your best friends or your coworkers. They're probably just going to tell you what you want to hear. And can I just tell you, I see it happen all the time. They go, well, I don't listen to what, oh, I don't want to hear what Pastor Daniel has to say. Eh, Pastor Jacob, no, I don't. Well, I'm just going to go over here and, oh, and then they'll find someone, they'll find two or three people who claim the name of Jesus that will say, oh, that's okay, a little passive-aggressive, weak, 
believer. That's the reason I said go to a mature believer who will speak truth and love in you, not someone who just gave their heart to Christ in the last couple weeks. Go to someone who's been walking with Jesus and got a little experience under their belt. Hello. That's the reason I always tell people whenever they're getting married, you need to talk to someone who's been at least married for five years, if not ten years, before you start seeking out counsel. Hello. They're still in the honeymoon. How are they going to tell you about marriage? Anyway, I digress. But the scripture says that it's the wisdom of the righteous. It says here in Proverbs 11, it says the wisdom of the righteous that can save you. Righteous meaning those that have been walking, like I said, with Jesus for some time. Not perfect people, but people who are sincere and who will speak truth to you. Those that will uh, confirm then after they've prayed about it and kind of sought scripture and applied some experience to it. The scripture says that they can save you. You may say, save you from what? Well, it'll save you from a lot of things. Like it, it can save you time. It can save you money, kind of like the little illustration I said a minute ago. It can save you energy. The wisdom could save you from making a big mistake or save you from a failure or an embarrassment. Guys, I can't begin to tell you how many times that I've been saved from making a bad decision because a godly person in my life says, Chris, you might want to rethink that thought. And normally that person's Jody, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm actually serious about that. I mean, like, why is it, married people, that so many times we dismiss the person that God has called to be at our side? I mean, but yet we go and we seek all this other counsel. And, and I found that so many times things that Jody tells me after I go out and talk to 10 other people, they're all saying the same thing that she's saying anyway. Here's another one, my elders. Man, thank you for my elders. So, man, I could have made some mistakes in the last 10 years. Of, and, and they were so gentle about it too. So many times I'm like, oh, Pastor, you really ought to read this through this. Let's pray about this. If you've got someone who's older than you and wiser than you that says that to you, then you need, you need to maybe hit the pause button. I'm not saying you have to hit the stop button. I'm saying hit the pause button. Maybe at least fast and pray. When's the last time we fasted over a big decision? I think I feel a sermon rising up on fasting. Maybe we need to fast at the beginning of this year. I'm going to count it right now. I'm calling a fast at the first of this year. Because we don't fast as a church. We, we just, not like we should. My pastors helped me from making a lot of mistakes. Thank God for pastors. I know I'm a pastor, but even taking it outside of that, I, we've got other great pastors in here. Thank God for, for, for the spiritual authority that God has given us in our life. Amen? My close friends who love Jesus and love me enough to speak truth to me into my life have helped me from avoiding a lot of messes. I'm looking around and seeing your faces now, how many times you guys have been. Thank God for them. So here's what I found, guys. I found that there are really just two main reasons that people mess up in life. They either don't have any spiritually mature friends that they can turn to for wisdom, or two, they don't listen to the ones that they have. Let me just address the first reason for those of you that feel like you don't have any good, close, godly relationships. We can help you do something about that. I mean, like we have community groups that meet all throughout the week where you can get to know other believers 
that you can do life with, who will pray with you, who will be there with you. And whenever you find yourself needing to make a, a, a choice and you're not real sure whether this is God or not, you can go to them. Thank God for that. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Church, surrounding ourselves with other believers who will help us hear what God is speaking to our lives is super important. And it's the third way that we can discern and recognize God's voice in our lives. Ready for the fourth test? Fourth one is, is it consistent with how God has shaped me? Okay, you got to think a little bit more. I know the first three is like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Doesn't that make me more like Christ? Does my church family confirm that? Okay. Is it consistent with how he shaped you, though? Because before you were born, God planned the contribution that he wants you to make to this world. He shaped you to be you. That means your abilities, the heart, the passions, all things that it takes to be able to complete that contribution, God shaped you for that. He shaped and designed you for a specific purpose. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so God is going to give us leadings that fit in with our shape. Does this make sense? And here's the thing about that shape. Your shape will reveal your purpose. Let me give you an example. Like, let's say you're in college right now, and you're trying to decide on a major, and you're not good with numbers. You don't even like numbers. Then God's probably not calling you to be an accountant. Like, are, does that help? But the point is this. The way that God has made you and fashioned you, it tells you an incredible amount about God's will for your life. Like, for example, if you ever hear me try to rap or hear me try to sing, like, you know that that's not God's calling on my life, okay? But I think the problem is that we want it all when we're not called to it all. Hello. I remember someone asking my youngest daughter when she was probably about eight or nine years old. They asked her, they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my other two knew immediately, the first one, I want to be a nurse, second one, I want to be a veterinarian. And came to the third one, she goes, everything. <laughs> but yet, I think that right there is what most people think in their mind. Like, they think that they, they, they want to do everything. But watch this, God hasn't called us to everything. Are you with me? I know that we live in a time now that says, you can do anything. Well, you can do anything that God's called you to do. You know what I mean? I can't dunk a 12-foot ball goal. And at 46 years old, I, I probably can't dunk it today and on a 10-foot. Are you with me? Maybe not even a 9-foot. Like, we got to do the things that God has called us to do because he has very specific giftings and callings that he's placed on our lives. Romans 12, 6 says God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. And so if you get an impression that's inconsistent with how God has shaped you, you have reason to question whether it's truly from God. Now, this is, that now means, let me balance this out. That's not to say that God won't call you 
to do things that are beyond you because I can promise you that he's always going to be calling you to do things where it's going to require you being dependent upon him and bigger than you. He's going to do that all the time. But if it doesn't fall in line with how you're shaped, in other words, with your giftings, your passions, your abilities, then you may want to fall back to test number three. Only this time go back and ask another set of mature believers. And guys, remember, keep keep in mind that these tests, they go hand in hand. Then there's the fifth test in recognizing God's voice in your life, and it's to ask, does it concern my responsibility? Now, this right here is what's going to get in your crawl a little bit. This is where it's going to, I might not get as many amens, but let me just say, if it's not your responsibility, then why in the world would God talk to you about it? I mentioned this earlier, and um, I kind of jumped a little bit ahead on this point, but um, this is the point where Jesus told Peter exactly how he was going to die. Do you you remember that in the Bible? And when he did, um, Peter then looked over toward John, and he says, well, Jesus, what about him? And Jesus said to Peter, it's none of your business what I do with him. You just focus on me. Like, this is, like, actually what he said in in John chapter 21. That's the Tomlinson Nearly Inspired version of the TNIV. But he said, I want him to, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? But you must follow me. In other words, that doesn't concern you, Peter. John isn't your responsibility. Now, there are those in the body of Christ that need to hear this. Because there's those who, it feels like, they feel like their life mission is to always be on this constant witch hunt. I'm talking about those who are always constantly up in everyone else's business, and they do so as if it's God's mandate for them to do such. And this particular test right here, it's sensitive to me because I've seen a lot of people who have been hurt over dumb things that other believers have done whenever they should have never stuck their nose in the situation. Church, when you're listening for God to speak, it's going to be relevant for your life. Don't be spending time trying to hear God for an area that he's not called you to. Listen for the things that God has placed under you and that you're responsible for. Don't give your thoughts and your opinions on things that don't concern you. For example, and this is just one example of what I've seen in the church. People will come and they'll say things like, well, I think we should do this song in the church or that song. I think we should do more songs or we should do less songs. By the way, let me throw out a little bit of a disclaimer. That doesn't happen much at all here, right, because we have an awesome team. But it's happened before, and it happens a lot in in other churches. But you know what? It's mighty presumptuous whenever we assume that we know what God's will is over someone who's called to that position. And who God has, has, who, who has then sought out God through fasting and through prayer about exactly what they should do in worship. But here comes someone who all of a sudden feels it, hasn't prayed about it, hasn't fasted, and isn't called to that post. But they hear from God and not the person that God actually called. Like if you're doing that, 
Stop it. That sounded mean, didn't it? Let me say it differently. Stop it. <laughs> Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Oh, you better chew on that. Put that in a doggy bag. Take it home. Chew on it a little more later. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What's it saying right here? It's saying, focus on your responsibility. Don't worry about what God is doing in someone else's life. I think one of the most misused and abused statements in the body of Christ is, God told me to tell you. Now, church, let me just say, I do believe with all of my heart and with full conviction that God will use us to speak to others. I know that he does. All I'm suggesting is that if you really do feel that you have a word from God and you are sharing it as such, a word from God, then you need to at least take some time and pray over that thing. I mean, I've had some instances in, in where God's given me a word, and yeah, I was a little eager to give it to him right away, but I'd take three days and, and pray and, and in some instances have fasted before delivering that word. I'm not sure if, if you've ever considered this or not, um, if it's for just you, or but, but like we've got to submit this before the Lord and seek him and to pray for the things, like I said, that are um, not our responsibility. And if by chance God does speak to us regarding something uh, that we're supposed to share with someone else, share it in humility. And whenever you share it with that person, matter of fact, whenever I have a word from God for someone and I believe that it is, then here's what I say. I say, you know, I'm not exactly sure if this is God or not. I feel that it is, but can I just humbly submit this to you? That's a little bit different between God said that you're supposed to go do this. God said you're, again, to the person that says that, I want to look, I want to look back at them and see like, okay, would you be willing to, to die if you're wrong? Going to be like the guy that I heard a few weeks ago. Well, no. <laughs> this is an approach. Are you, are you hearing me? I'm, I'm trying to equip you to know how you minister to people in a right and effective way. Okay? One more thought while we're talking about this. If God does show you something about someone else, I can promise you it's not for you to spread it around. Like if you want to start being able to hear God, what will stop him from allow? like what will move you off of that channel, that wavelength quicker than anything is when you start taking something that, that God has, has given that's special and then you share it with someone else. Are you with me? When you do that, you know what we are? We're kind of like no different than Ham. Remember that in, in the scripture, Canaan's son who didn't cover his father, but he let him be exposed for all to see? Church, we don't expose one another we cover one another. Like the biblical precedence for exposing someone is the very last thing that we do. Like that's after we've first went to them one-on-one -on -one and, and had a conversation with them. And then if they don't listen to what we say, then we go and we take one or two others and we go to them and see if they'll acknowledge they're wrong. But the final thing that we do is expose their evil deeds. That's the last thing according to biblical order. Are you with me? Church, love covers a multitude of sins. And if you're one who's constantly trying to expose one another, expose someone, can I just tell you, watch out. 
because it's a matter of time before someone exposes you. Romans 14 says, we will all be judged one day, not by each other's standards, thank God, or even our own because we're not very accurate, but by the judgment of God. Because he is always true and he knows our motives. It is to God alone that we shall have to answer for our actions. And so when you have a thought or an idea, ask yourself, is this concerning my responsibility? And then the sixth test for discerning God's voice is to ask, is it convicting or condemning? Let me explain the difference. Because a lot of believers don't know. As a matter of fact, a lot of Christians go through life uh, living under guilt and condemnation, thinking that it's God, but it's not. It's, it's the devil. So let me just explain the difference. Conviction comes from God. Condemnation comes from the devil. The purpose of conviction is to correct something that is not right in your life. The purpose of condemnation is to put you down, to make you feel ashamed, to load you up with guilt, and ultimately make your life miserable. Now, the motivation behind conviction is God loves you and God wants you to become better. But the motivation behind condemnation is that Satan hates you and he wants you to feel despondent. And here's what the two look like. When God uses conviction, it's to draw us closer to him. However, whenever Satan uses condemnation, it's to push us away from him. Now, when we feel God bring conviction into our life, it's almost always specific. It's either conviction that we need to surrender our lives uh, to the lordship of Jesus, which is what we felt whenever we surrendered our life to the Lord, or it's conviction over something that we said, did, or thought. And when we feel that conviction, we go to God and we confess it to him. And the scripture says that if we will confess our sins, that he'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thank God for that. And by the way, how many of you know that that scripture right there is written uh, to believers? We often use that as an evangelistic uh, scripture, but it's actually speaking to the believer to let you know, hey, you know, if we sin, if we're faithful and just to forgive, to confess our sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive us. And watch this. The moment we repent, like God's forgiveness comes at that moment, and it's a done deal. Are, are you with me? We don't worry about it any longer. If you still have any lingering feelings beyond that, feelings like you're worthless or feelings like you're a failure or you're hopeless, those thoughts are not the voice of God. That's condemnation, and it's coming from the devil. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And I just feel like someone needs to hear this. Someone who you have been going to God, asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over again. And what, what, what I mean is, like, you've messed up. But since you've messed up, you don't have to go to God and keep asking for forgiveness over and over again over this one thing that you've done. So many people, they've asked God over something that they've done. Maybe, maybe they had an adultery. Maybe, you know, they, they, they looked at porn. Maybe they, you know, have done drugs and they just keep asking God for forgiveness. And God's already forgiven you. Like the scripture says that he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't go back in there digging through the trash to find your trash. The trash has been taken out. Are you with me? That's what the scripture says whenever it says it's like a dog that returns to his vomit. Don't go back to the thing that you've gotten that out of you. 
Like, that's the thing about the dog anyway. He doesn't even realize that what was in the vomit is what made him sick to start with. Be free, church. Be free. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like those thoughts that keep coming back up that are accusing you, those thoughts are not from God. They're from the accuser of the brethren, Satan. And I pray that those of you that have been living under the weight of guilt and condemnation, that today you would find freedom because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I feel like so many Christians, they're kind of like Otis on the Andy Griffith show. Kind of showing my age right here with this illustration. But Otis was the guy who would always walk into the sheriff's office and would lock himself up in jail. And that's what I feel like many Christians are like today. Like Jesus has set them free, but they keep going right back to the same place that Jesus set them free from. But church, you're free. If you are in Christ, walk in that freedom in Jesus' name. And then the seventh and the final test for how to recognize God's voice. And again, it's in the form of a question. And that's to ask, do I sense God's peace in my and this test right here is the final one for once all of the other boxes have been checked. Worship team, you guys can come up. Because the Bible says that we are to be led forth in peace. Anytime you and I are being led by the Spirit, being led by God, the Scripture says we will be led forth in peace. And once I've applied the other six tests, I need to ask, is God's peace on me? And church, I have to tell you that there have been many times that I have checked all six of the boxes, but then all of a sudden I still didn't have peace. See, I found that God, he will not pressure me to do things. The only time that he will pressure me is whenever I've not do something that he's already told me to do, right? But Satan is the one who uses pressure and who drives us compulsively. But God desires to draw us in compassionately. Let me ask you, do you feel more peace or more pressure in your life right now? No, I'm asking you that right now. Like, do you feel more peace in your life or more pressure? Pressure is almost always linked with worry, which is the opposite of peace. If you have a lot of pressure in your life, I can tell you that there are some voices that you need to reject. God has a way of causing his peace, even in the midst of the chaos that's going around us. You see, chaos can be going on all around us, but it doesn't have to happen within us. See, that's the thing about his peace, guys. His peace, it, it surpasses understanding. But in order to give up that peace, you're going to have to also give up your right for understanding. And this is where faith comes in. It's, it's trusting God when we don't understand. But when we trust him, we begin to walk in his peace. Let me leave you with this last thought. The devil would love more than anything to gain control of our hearts and our minds and to cause us to be led by our emotions rather than being led by the Spirit. But God's Word gives us a promise that His peace, it will guard 
our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, that word, if you, those of you that like to do word studies, if you look at it in the Greek, that, that word guard actually is a Greek word umpire. And what does an umpire do? An umpire is the one who calls the shots in our life. Let the peace of God call the shots in your life. Even whenever you look at it and you say, well, it's biblical. It seems that it's going to make me more like Christ. All the other checklists seem to fit, but then you come down to the last one and you say, God, are you on this? And then you follow the peace. Amen? Stand your feet with me if you would. God's peace will refuse access anything that is not of him. His peace will refuse access to anything that is not from him. As we stay submitted to his lordship, we have this beautiful promise. And here's what I want to end on this morning, church. Oh, sorry. If, <laughs> if um, you've not surrendered your life to the Prince of Peace, I want you to know that you can do that right now. That's the first step in following peace, is following the Prince of Peace. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, to the Prince of Peace, I want to ask you to pray with me right now. And then I'm going to dismiss you. I know we went a little over this morning. This word was stirring in my heart. We need to hear God, church. And this morning, if you're hearing God, his voice on the inside drawing you close to him, you know that he's not your Lord. You know that you've not been following him and serving him as you should, but today you want him to be your Lord. You say, as for me and my house today, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want to lead you in a prayer of surrender. Saints of God, you can join in with us, but right now we're going to all confess Jesus as Lord together. Can you pray this prayer out loud with me? Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. Now I want to know you and make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank God for salvation. So good to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord.